Well, everybody, we got a really special episode today. We're welcome back, my friend Warwick Fairfax. Warwick, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Thank you so much, John. Uh, I really appreciate you having me back again. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I'm Steve Ryder, who many of you guys know, we started this podcast together. You know, he's out, he loves story. And he called me up one day and goes, John, I just met this guy. He was like part of one of the most successful families in Australia. He was like, think of his dad as like the Rupert Murdoch of Australia. And he takes over the entire company and gambles for the whole company and absolutely drives it into the ground and everything is gone and lost. And he literally loses everything. I mean, talk about like a prodigal son story. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, like, you want to meet him? I'm like, yeah. So guys, uh, Warwick has been on before. So because you know what, this is perfect timing, Warwick, because so much has happened since you and I last spoke. But if you guys want to go back, eternalleadership.com 272, it's about conquering failure. And you're going to hear more about Warwick's story and what's happening now. And then in April of last year, Right. So we, I think we just need to start bringing you on every year. It's just going to be an, <laughs> an eternal thing, Mark. We really talked about, hey, how do you move past a crucible moment? And guys, I've had mine. Like you guys have heard part of my story, right? I was about to go to Top Gun and I get hit with a softball and the Navy lets me go. And then I start a company with my best friend who was not honest. And I not only lost everything, but I had to declare personal bankruptcy and my wife and I were hunting around literally with no money trying to figure out, do we take some of the money from our change jar back when we used to have those and put a little bit of money in the gas tank or go buy formula for our kids? I mean, that, that is not hyperbole. That is actually what happened. And then I go and I work 100 hours a week to build a company. We get to a million dollars in sales, Warwick, and the internet bubble pops. And 90 days later, I'm back on the street again. And it was during this time I found my faith. And I'm also like, come on, like, seriously, God, like, okay, I'm in the camp, right? I'm a Christian. <laughs> Does it get easier? Can I tell you something? It did not get easier. And there's more. I can tell you guys more. Like, you guys know about my accident, you know, put me in the hospital for two years. So in all of these crucible moments that we go to, last year, I lost my dad during the middle of COVID. And I was the only one at the funeral. At least I got to be at the funeral. But Every single one of us has had a real, some really challenging times. I would be willing to, well, every single person listening, you know what your crucible moment is. You've lived through it. You might be living in it right now. And our goal is to just give you guys hope. Because some of the things that Warwick and I have been through and understanding what God has given us through this. And so Warwick, I'll let you share a bit of your story, but you just came out with a book and it's come, guys, it just came out this week. It is phenomenal. It's called Crucible Leadership. Embrace your trials to lead a life of significance. And I, I just want to share the kind of the four tenets of the book because I love how you put this together. Mm -hmm. And folks, we're going to be talking about this. But the first one is failure can be of great value which mm -hmm. in the moment is hard to see, but I got to tell you in hindsight, every single time it becomes kind of that refining power that prepares you for what's next. And what's next for me has always been pretty darn awesome. I got to be honest. 
Uh, number two is really, and I totally agree with this, Warwick, right, is that that quest for leadership for purpose is really that inner quest of understanding who you are. Mm -hmm. And maybe said a better way, understanding who Christ made you to be. Who are you designed to be versus the person you see in the mirror? And the third thing is about vision. And how do I actually take all this stuff? When you get sidelined, you get sidetracked, you start going in a direction and you get kneecapped. You're like, well, I'm afraid to dream. I'm afraid to have another vision because what if I start going down the road? Because that hurt last time, hmm. right? Like that hurt. Like what you went through, Warwick, that hurt, yeah. right? But there still is a vision there. And if we don't trust God and we don't grab a vision and work at fulfilling it, that is a vision that God wanted manifested. And if we don't do that, that's a vision that's lost. And you write about all of these areas and how they fit together so beautifully. I know this has been a life's work since I first met you in 2019. And so I'd love for you to just for people who haven't met you yet, just maybe share a little bit of the backstory, but then let's get into what you're really talking about today, because I think this is a, a perfect message for what's going on in the world right now, my friend. Well, thanks again, John, for having me. And you've been such a huge supporter and encourager. And, you know, there are some folks, maybe they have podcasts, but uh, John Ramsdale, he kind of walks the talk. He cares about other people and he's gone out of his way to be helpful and kind. And so I so appreciate it. So, um, yeah. Well, but thank sort you, of... Warwick. As soon as I met you, I'm like, man. <laughs> and folks, you know what? Warwick and I were just talking. We've never met in person. <laughs> Between COVID and everything else, we've met on Zoom. But yeah, we get, we, we've concluded we're actually going to have to meet in person either in Annapolis yeah. we'll or in Maryland or in Colorado. But yeah, a brief backstory for those men that have caught the earlier episodes. I grew up in a 150-year-old family media business. It was founded by a strong believer, a business person for Christ as exists. He had his own crucible early on back in the late 1830s in England. He was bankrupted by an unscrupulous lawyer. He wrote an article about the lawyer. The lawyer sued him. The judge ruled in John Fairfax's favor, my great-great-grandfather, but he was still bankrupted even though he did nothing wrong. Comes out to Australia founds this 150-year-old family media business in 1841, and it grows to having newspapers, magazines, TV stations, uh, newsprint mills, radio. It has the Australian equivalent of the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Washington Post. I mean, it was a massive media company. Was it a business or was it a regular newspaper? I'm just kind of curious yeah 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 no it was an enormous media company you know just so you diversified guys have reporters and editors and staff probably across all the different oh yeah i mean our states in australia yeah i mean it was like a four thousand plus company 750 million in sales it was wow. it was a massive company it really had the opinion leaders in our country you know radio tv newspapers so my whole life i'd want to prepare myself to go into the family company you know, when, when we think about the whole prodigal son, maybe I was partly the good son that didn't leave, that worked hard. You know, I've, obviously John has been in the military. I never have. But that ethos they talk about of duty on a country, I mean, I'm wired that way. It's like I may die trying, but I will do my level best to make my family proud and go into the family media business. It had nothing to do with what I wanted to do. It was all about duty. 
and loyalty to my ancestors, what have you. So I did my undergrad at Oxford, worked on Wall Street, I uh, got my MBA at Harvard Business School. And then in early 87, I was 26 at the time, in my last few months at Harvard Business School, my dad died. He was in his 80s uh, from the third marriage. My parents and I felt the company wasn't being well run along the ideas of the founder, nor was it uh, being well managed. And so I launched this $2.25 billion takeover in uh, late August 87. Things now, you were 26 at the time? It's hard to believe. I was 26. So you're and, 26, straight out of a Harvard MBA, and you're like, yeah. I'm going to launch a, would that be considered a hostile takeover? Other family members of mine considered it hostile, and that wasn't so exactly my intention. you launch a hostile takeover yeah. into your family company because you're like, I think I can do this better, and I don't like what they're doing. Yeah, it's sort of this young- Is that a fair summary? It is. It's this young, oh naive, idealistic crusader, you know? It's mm-hmm. like- I'm sort of on this mission and no breakpoints. We're going to go at it. I mean, it was, yeah, it does feel like out of the movies, you know, this whole crusader deal. So they didn't want to be in a company trapped by a 26 year old that privatized company. What rational person would October 87 stock market crash showed our asset sales. So even though I bought a new management that increased operating profits, 80%, the debt was so high, it kind of didn't matter. Company went under in late 1990. And we'll get into this more, but what made it crushing was I had come to faith in Christ at an evangelical Anglican church at Oxford. So I felt like, well, God has this plan to resurrect the company in the ideals of the founder. Not so much have, you know, Jesus lives on the front page, but more in terms of how people are treated. So it was the sense that God had a plan and I blew God's plan, which for a believer was crushing. So Believe it or not, that's sort of the, the short version of my crucible. Yes. And I'm, Can I ask you a question in that, though, Warwick? Please go ahead. Did you ever feel like, you know what, this is God's plan. I'm walking in his will and his path. And when things went so sideways, you're almost left dumbfounded of either, is this really the plan or how did I get it so wrong? Boy, that's an interesting question. I think... One way of answering it is I've since come to believe God's will is sovereign. And despite my mistakes, if you wanted the company to be controlled by me and stay in family hands, you would have. So I really think that God delivered me from what I call a gilded prison. Yes, you know I may no, have had a, a lot of a really money and status. There that, yeah. There's a really good point there, though. You know what? Our belief or unbelief, our actions or inactions is not going to thwart God's will. Exactly. Ever. It is absolutely supreme. So you're right. And, you know, it brings me back in the point. I want you to finish the point you were making. But I'm actually just thinking of, you know, as I went through all my crucible, when I was in God's presence at my accident, I still marvel at the first thing that he said to me in person, which is, you know, he was standing next to me. He says, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. And I remember looking back, I'm sitting in the hospital after my second craniotomy, they had to take my skull off and the recovery is brutal. And and I was reflecting on that going, really, God, all things like this is going to work to get like that I have to go through this. And in that moment, I made a decision that was really transformative for me, where because you know what, I'm going to trust 
and choose to believe that that is true. And in mm. that, as I went through this brutal next couple of years of my life, that always allowed me to look from a place of hope. And I definitely had my good days and bad days. You know, I'm, I'm human. But that was my, honestly, my lifeline as I went through that. Boy, that is such an interesting point. I really agree with that. I don't know that I was as wise as you in the moment, but I agree with that, that all things do work for good for those who love him. I mean, I think in some ways, God was freeing me from a life of duty and obligation. I never could have left the family business voluntarily. It would have felt like I was abandoning my post. You know, it's almost like you were on a mission with the Navy and saying, yeah, I'm not going to fly this mission today. It's like, really? You're not going to fly this mission live in the balance? It's like, how could you not fly the mission? It's that kind of mentality. There's no way I could have left voluntarily. I would have felt like I was denigrating, desecrating the memory of my father and great-great-grandfather, who's a believer, John Fairfax. I think God maybe realized this is not good for me. I'm a reflective advisor, not a you know, take no prisoners, corporate executive. So the only way he was going to free me from this is to claw it out of my hands. And he found mm -hmm. a way to do that. And it's funny, you know, we also have a podcast beyond the crucible and we had a resilience series. And one of the things I'm, I'm learning is people use the words gift or blessing. And, you know, we had a, a you know, speaking of physical crucibles that you went through, we had a woman on recently, an Australian, at 12 years old, she became a quadriplegic because she dove into an above ground pool, you know, like people have in their backyards. And her parents said, hey, Stacy, don't do it, don't do it. But as a kid, you just ignore your parents in that scenario. So she can look at it and say, that was totally my fault. So she had to forgive herself. But the point is, she now coaches and helps, you know, business executives. She looks at that accident becoming a quadriplegic as a gift. Now, how could that be a gift? It'd be like you saying, you know, when you ran headlong in at breakneck speed into that metal fence on the horse, how could that be a gift? And how could what I went through be a gift? Which, you know, you can't compare crucibles, but I think she has a point. And in some ways, what happened to me was a gift, was a blessing. I wouldn't be here with the book that's been published, doing what I love and I feel God calling me to without having gone through that crucible. But I wasn't wise enough at the time to say this is a gift or all things work for the good or those who love him. I was just kind of in pain. But you're totally right. I think it's such a good point. Well, you know, a woman that we've had on our podcast in the past, Pamela Hillman, amazing. Her life that she grew up in of the most horrific abuse, physical, sexual, and God got a hold of her. And what she's doing today is a ministry to help drug addicts and abused women. And she has literally now led thousands and thousands of women to restoration, healing, redemption, a whole life. And so we don't always get an explanation, but everything that's happened to us and in our lives, you know, God says I can use for good. Now, Absolutely. I know I've talked to her. We, it was one of the most amazing stories, like, her ability where she got with her faith to forgive these people as she mm -hmm. described what had happened actually blew me away work uh, how she did that it was such an inspiration to me like okay i gotta look at some of the things in my life 
that aren't even a fraction of what she went through. And I still had a level of unforgiveness with other people. You know, that business partner that I thought betrayed me. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, the person that put me on this horse, they knew yeah. it was a mistake. This horse that I was on was a very highly trained horse that was never supposed to be in the lineup for a trail ride. Right. I mean, what happened to me should not have happened. And, you know, learning to forgive, I don't know about you, forgive a yourself because it could be some of your own decisions, mm -hmm. but also, you know, when you're talking to people, you know, as you're talking about maybe your mindset as you've gone through this whole process, right? What did you find that really helped you? Because, you know, a big part of this, right? One of your big lessons in here is that that whole inner quest of discovering who you really are. Can you talk a little bit about that work? Yeah, I mean, I think that's so true. I mean, forgiveness, your mindset. I mean, everybody I've talked to that have bounced back, and I think probably I would gather to say everybody that you've talked to, you don't bounce back without forgiving. For me, it was large part forgiving myself. I mean, it's like I had a Harvard MBA, and I ignored the good advice. It does sound very biblical. And, you know, because it didn't tell me what I wanted to hear, which was to take up what's possible, listen to the, the bad advice. I assumed that a bunch of family members would want to be in a company trap by a 26-year-old in a sense. And I'd only just graduated from Harvard Business School like in May 87. And this was like a couple months after. Did I forget everything? No, partly it was emotions and a whole nother discussion. So really forgiving myself. And yes, there's always others. Like I could say, well, the family had been at odds for many decades before the takeover. Family businesses tend to. So there's a whole backstory I don't really get into that much in the book because I'm not into dissing on other people. But yes, I could say, gosh, if my father had been a bit smarter, if some of these other family members you know, they twice tried to throw him off as chairman, one in 61 and one in 1976. There's always a backstory. And so I could say, well, yes, if they hadn't done this or that, then maybe I wouldn't have felt I need to do a takeover. And you can go down this rabbit trail of endless recriminations about you against yourself or, or others. But you're right. You have to forgive yourself, forgive others. And forgiveness is a choice. And, you know, the example you used is such a good illustration Forgiving doesn't mean condoning. It doesn't mean the people that abused that woman that you mentioned doesn't mean that's right. Of course it's not. And it doesn't mean you go hang out with them. <laughs> no. And doesn't mean it, it doesn't mean I have to like you, but I'm not going to. No, it doesn't mean it does, that there shouldn't be consequences, mm -hmm. uh, significant consequences. But forgiveness and consequences and condoning is different. People get hung up on that. So a key part of the mindset is forgiveness. I think for the believer, it's realizing that God loves us unconditionally. And this is a work in progress for pretty much every believer that I've ever known is not to get your identity in what you do or even what you do for him, right? You could be a pastor of a church. Gosh, you know, pre-pandemic, we had 2,000. Now we have 500. Gosh, I'm letting God down or whatever. You know, it's like, it's not about numbers. It's so just realizing that God loves you unconditionally, not because of what you do or what you achieve. What you do is trying to just honor what God has you know, given you in life, but it's got nothing to do with earning your salvation. We believe this in our heads. We tend not to live our beliefs, especially that one. So that mindset has to work itself out in how we live that unconditional um, 
love. And I think, you know, for me, one of the things that really helped me is really bathing myself in scripture. Uh, I had almost mantras, if you will. I mean, I've been reflecting on this. There was one in particular in Philippians 3. I'll just read a short couple of verses of this. So, you know, one that starts in Philippians 3, verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Lower down in around about verse 13, halfway through, it says, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize, which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So the point about this is like, you know, $2 billion, I consider it rubbish. You know, that kind of loss compared to surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Forgetting what is behind, forgetting Fairfax Media and the pain of the takeover, straining toward what is ahead, which is, you know, really where God wants me to head and a life in Christ. So, I kept going over and over and over that. And that was helpful. It's not like a one and done. It's like exercise. You know, you get, don't get to be fit in a day. You know, it takes months, years. Well, it's scriptures the same way. So clinging to the scripture, like a, a man clinging to a master of a ship in a raging storm. That was one of the keys for me as I you know sought to come back. You know, when all of those elements of your life, the structure, the, you know, the sense of duty, the purpose, you know, these things that had you in, in a certain direction and everything is thrown cattywampus. How's that? That's a good word, (laughs) right? You know, straining toward what is ahead, right? Speaks to me of rediscovering a vision that's unique to you, that it's you in partnership with the Lord for what's next. And sometimes what for yourself, how did you reconnect to a vision that was uniquely yours in partnership with what God was doing? Because I'm guessing that that part was hard. And that's probably something, you know, when things have all been thrown sideways and the unexpected, some of these very painful things that happen, and you're like, oh my gosh, everything has changed. So what is next is a place where I, I see people struggle. Yeah, I mean, for me, most kids grow up wondering, gee, you know, what I want to do, you know, sometimes it's, you know, fireman, policeman, or later on, it's lawyer, doctor, you know, maybe it's military, you know, whatever it is. For me, that was irrelevant. It's like the royal family, like being Prince William, you know, can you imagine, you know, Harry, obviously, has gone another direction, but Prince William, it's like, for him, it really is duty on a country, right? It's, you know, I'm going to follow in the footsteps of my dad and grandmother, so it was tough. So, you know, it took me years to figure this out. But to me, yeah, I'm a reflective advisor at heart, you know, so I became a certified executive coach through International Coach Federation. And that certainly was a, a fun part of my journey. But a key part of finding my vision was I gave a talk in my church. Uh, I'm an elder in a sort of non-denominational evangelical church, at least pre-pandemic was about 2000-ish. Uh, and that was in 2008. My pastor was giving a, a message on the life of David. 
who was being pursued by Saul who wanted to kill him because he was being too successful and Saul was jealous. So David was a righteous man, falsely persecuted. So I said to my pastor, look, that's not me. I brought a lot of trouble on myself. But fine, I'm not somebody that is comfortable being in the limelight, but if I can help. And so I gave a talk on what I went through and what I felt like God had taught me. And weeks, months after, people came to me and said, you know, Warwick, what you said really helped me. And I thought at the time, you know, how could anybody be helped by the story of an ex-media mogul growing up in this family business founded by a believer? I mean, it's one thing if I was talking about cancer or some other suffering. Sadly, way too many people have gone through that, but nobody's gone through what I've gone through, at least. It doesn't feel like it, you know? Two billion dollar loss and a family takeover, and it's you know I'm a believer, but somehow by sharing my story vulnerably and authentically, it helped people. So that's when there was a pivot. And if I can talk about my story in a lessons learned leadership framework that will help people, that's worth the pain of reliving some of my you know worst days. So that was where you know it just sounds somewhat biblical. Out of the ashes of my crucible came my vision and it was my vision. And, you know, it took 12 years from 2008, well, more than 12 years, maybe 13 years, I guess, to getting it published a couple of days ago, at least as we're recording in October 19. So, yeah, and this was uniquely my vision. So I honestly found my purpose out of the pain that I went through. You know, one other thing that I don't always talk about, I don't think I have before, is now, for the believer, how do you find your vision? Well, yes, it can be out of the ashes of your crucible. So right at the time, this is like April 2008, I remember thinking, this is sort of blowing my circuits a bit. Some, somehow there's something there that can help people. And for a believer, you want to help people. And so I decided I'm going to do this intensive Bible study, you know, one of those 90-day Bible study deals. And I figured out my own plan. You know, I mean, it's stuff that a lot of people have used each day, some of the Old Testament, the New Testament, a couple of Psalms, Proverb. And over 90 days, not only did I read it, but I started writing notes. This is going to sound a bit bananas. I wrote like 110 typewritten pages of Microsoft Word, 110 typewritten pages, which is a lot. I was just, there was something about that talk in church that really triggered something. It's like, there's something here, and I want to know what God is thinking. In the middle of my intensive you know, dive into scripture, I felt like God in a almost that still small voice, a bit like I think what, what you shared that you felt back when you know the horse hit the metal fence. You know, I felt like God telling me, Warwick, I want you to write a book about your story, but in a lessons learned format. It was crystal clear to me it was the Lord's will. And so at that point, as a believer, you've got a choice. Do you obey God or not obey God? Another huge lesson for me, just taking steps of obedience. When God asks you to do something, just say yes. And so I have tried ever since. I'm not perfect, but just to listen to the Lord and take that next step, because his vision for my life is going to be a good one. It's going to be a perfect one. So that was the pivot point, that talk in church in 2008 for me. Lauren, think about this too, because it made me think of, you know, just the power of our testimony, right? In Revelations, it's Revelations 12, right? It says they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, right? Our testimony Mm -hmm. is our story in Christ, 
right? And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And I also see that as not physical death. I almost see that as what the death of my agenda, right? Indeed. And to embrace what is the agenda of Christ, what to seek and, mm-hmm. and ask God to reveal his will. And a shift for me, Warwick, as I've gone through this process was it's been different levels. The first one, you know, when I was in business, I was like, okay, here's my plan. John's plan. I came up with it right. and I lift it up and say, Lord, here it is. Bless it. Like bless this food to my use, right? Bless this plan to my use. And then, you know what, all of a sudden, like things would work out great. And I tend to give myself credit. Like, Hey, I worked hard for that goal for that outcome. And if it didn't work out, I'd be like, come on. You know, like I told you just in the beginning of my business career as a new believer, like all these setbacks, which for me, because I didn't have a lot of good spiritual mentorship, I slowly drifted away from that true North. Mm -hmm. Okay. But then after the accident, I started saying, God, what is your will for me? Why did all this happen? Why did I get a second chance? And I was praying for God's will for John, like, who am I? What do I do next? How do I do it? All these natural questions. And in that, Warwick, you know what? I'll never forget. It was this transformational moment as it became this passion that God put on my heart to know him. Who is that person who was standing next to me, who I felt unconditional love from, which I'd never experienced before. I wanted to learn more about this God of the universe who actually cared about me as a person. And in that, I read the Bible cover to cover. It's the first time I'd ever done that. You know, what's, what's, that, what's fascinating to me about what you're sharing, John, and I can relate to it is the questions you were asking God changed after the accident. Before it's, here's what I want to do. God bless it. Later, after the accident, it sounds like, well, Lord, what is it you want on my life? Tell me your plan, your vision. Your questions shifted. Yeah, right? and then they shifted again to this, as I really understood who I was in Christ, right? Everybody talks about the Ephesians 2.10 calling, which relates right. to vision. But part of that is, I love the scripture that puts it this way, that you are Christ's perfect workmanship. And what if yes. I just accepted that right now, all these things, the passions, the ideas, the things on my heart, there are no dependent events. That mm-hmm. in partnership with the Father, I'm actually ready right now. I don't have to go do this or go to school or get this certification. Yes, those will help me be better at doing some of these things, but they shouldn't also hold me back. And so what that led to then was, you know, a different prayer. And that is, you know what, Lord, as I'm looking toward refining that vision and what I should be doing today, reveal to me the will that you have out in the world. Mm -hmm. What is the will that you have in Warwick's life? What is the will that you have for maybe this company that I got introduced to or for my family. And what do I need to do to change to be able to serve you in the will that you have for others? And I got to tell you, it struck me as I was reading Exodus about Moses when God, the burning bush moment, right? God goes to Moses. And what God showed me in that, I was actually reading Experiencing God by Blackaby. And that's when all this kind of the, how this revelation came was God didn't go to Moses to reveal his will for Moses, right? Because I used to get Mm -hmm. stuck on, hey, what's my assignment, right? Right? Like, I'm going to sit here and wait until I get this assignment. (laughs) But you know what God's will was in that moment was to free a nation. That was God's will. 
And he's inviting Moses to join him in what he is actually doing for the nation of Israel. Right. Right. And I started thinking, okay, that changes things for me. And guess what? God doesn't want to keep it a secret. Right. Somebody asked me at the accident when I was in God's presence, how would you describe him? Like in that moment, what was his Mm -hmm. nature? Like, I'm curious. I'm like, wow, that's a great question. I hadn't thought of that before. And the first word that came to my mind that I thought of was a friend. And mm-hmm. then I remembered, you know what? I think it talks about that in scripture. I went and looked it up, right? And yeah. it says, Jesus wants to call you a friend. And here's what it looks like to be his friend. And because a friend knows his master's business. And what I yeah. realized is none of this is like this hidden thing, this where I, you know, you're not worthy to know, or like, I don't have the tools to understand God's mm-hmm. will. Like, no. I have to be in relationship with the Lord in the right way, and then it will be revealed. And that is exactly what has happened. And in that, as I understood who God was and who he made me to be, the whole idea of vision and purpose to me, which had been really kind of this big opaque mystery in the past, all of a sudden became the clarity of which it came. It's like a mist just evaporated in front of me, and I could see Not maybe all the way at the end of the road, but I could definitely clearly for me understand what those next steps were to take to just stay in partnership with God. And it was those small steps that I just took every day, trusting the Lord, building that relationship that allowed me to walk through these crucibles into, you know, out of the valley into a better place. Yeah, I mean, what you're sharing is is so important, I think, for listeners to understand is sometimes as leaders, we can get hung up on, okay, Lord, I want you to tell me the big vision. What's my assignment? What's my mission? Which I feel like is kind of the wrong question. In a sense, it's more, as you say, just being in the Lord's presence saying, Lord, you already have a plan. Maybe even, I don't know that I need to know what God's plan is. It's more Lord, tell me what step you want me to take today. Because again, I trust that I may not fully understand how this all fits into the grand plan, but I just want to be faithful. And I was thinking the other day, it's kind of a bit like GPS. You know, God will tell you the next street to turn on, but don't expect him to tell you the, the street after that. You know, or if you're flying, he'll tell you the next waypoint. He won't tell you the next waypoint after that first one. Typically, it just doesn't, not the way he works. So it's just, being comfortable of saying God has a plan, trusting him and being faithful and just not getting hung up in your own agenda. For me, I guess the translation pre-takeover would be, okay, I believe that God, you know, his plan is to resurrect the company and the image of the founder. And I need to do a takeover to change management, restore the company to the ideals of the founder. Okay. I'm I'm pretty sure that um, that's God's plan. Let's go. Okay. I don't know that that's the wisest approach. You know, it was like, here's my plan to uplift God's agenda. God bless it. You know, it wasn't as simple as just a business. Now I try to be like, even with this book, as I've said to my, um, you know, we have the same publisher at Morgan James. I said to David Hancock, who fortunately is a believer, I said, I don't care whether this book sells one or 10,000. I just want to be faithful to God's call in my life. Now, you know, we have a great public relations team and branding and marketing. We've got the best of the best and everything like you do. So it's not like I'm not trying, but I want, I want to be just saying, Lord, you tell me 
what you want me to do today, tomorrow. I just want to be faithful to your agenda and your plan. And I don't even have to know what your agenda, God, and your plan is. You just tell me what you want me to do today, and I just want to be faithful. And just realizing, you know, part of is our significance, our identity, is in who Christ is and what he did for us on the cross. He doesn't need our stuff. He doesn't need our accomplishments. He doesn't need our successful admissions. That's not really relevant to him. He just loves us because, you know, this idea of we need to accomplish something for Christ, for him to be proud, you know, like a proud dad, is just poor theology, you know? doesn't mean we're not going to accomplish things for him, but it's just being not worrying about his plan, just being faithful day by day. Does that kind of make sense? It's just being faithful day by day, and his plan will unfold, you know? Yes, uh, 100%. And so, guys, the book is Crucible Leadership, Embrace Your Trials to Lead a Life of Significance. You know, Warwick, you are just a huge part of helping us launch our book, On Purpose, With Purpose. So, folks listening, I'd love for you to get the book and go on Amazon and leave a uh, review you know, write one out. That is huge to help get the word out because understanding, I think, the trials that we go through, the testimony that we have, and how to move through that. Because you know what? We're a pastor, as I was talking to him once. He said, John, you know what? This is kind of how life works, right? You're either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, and all of a sudden things look good. But guess what's on the horizon? Another storm. <laughs> because it's just how life works. Yeah. And understanding how to move through these seasons of life. Because, you know, one of the things about a crucible is, you know, you never emerge from a crucible the same. Absolutely. You're either damaged or weakened, or you're refined. You're more pure. You're, I don't know if stronger is the right word, but I know that going through those crucibles have shaped me and changed me and prepared me for what I'm doing now. And in that, I got to tell you, there can be healing. There can be reconciliation. There can be redemption, forgiveness. There can be peace. Think about that. I'm sure some of you are like, I, I don't feel peace right now. And what I'm telling you is we have had some major setbacks, Warwick, the last two years. Our business was about to absolutely triple. We, had, mm-hmm. we were awarded the biggest set of contracts. We were doing the happy dance, hallelujah breakdown. Mm-hmm. And then because of thing, it was with the government to do training. And every single one of those contracts was canceled because of budget problems in 2019. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm tired. Like my calendar was cleared and right. I'm like, okay, I have to rebuild. So the end of 2019, we had to pivot and change and rebuild and get new clients just to, you know, make payroll, to make ends meet. Yeah. And we finally got some momentum. And guess what happened in the spring of 2020? We're just going to do this quick little 15 day, you know, uh, stay at home and let's let's just uh, get through this. Well, that turned into what, a year and a half? Yeah. Everything changed again. And then I got COVID. I, you know, the spring of this year as I'm launching my book. So guess, but through those, because of what I've been through, and I think the journey God has had me on, those were not times though, this time when I was stressed out that I lost sleep. I was Mm -hmm. truly at peace going through these because I trusted the Lord. 
I understood his faithfulness because I look back and I saw his faithfulness in every element, every aspect, financially, physically, spiritually, my family, over time that happened. And I knew that even though I don't like what's happening, I can trust God to move through this, to take care Absolutely. of Absolutely. I think one of, the, one of the And that's what you talk things. about in the book and how to yeah, do that. If absolutely. you're struggling with that, that's what you talk about, don't you, Ward? Absolutely. And really, the, the critical issue that you're pointing out is when you go through a crucible, you really have a choice. As we talk about, you can either hide under the covers, be angry and bitter either at yourself or others, and just wait for the next 30, 40, 50 years to melt away and eventually low end for all of us. That's a choice. The other choice to say, yeah, this was awful. It was either not my fault, my fault. But how do I use my pain for purpose? How do I bounce back? How do I, in your words, which I think is very good, and we use this too, so how can I be refined by this? Maybe made wiser, stronger in one sense, at least in terms of wisdom. Um, How do I let go of bitterness? How do I see a vision that maybe can come out of the ashes of my crucible? So it's really you face that choice. And the other choice spiritually is you're either driven, uh, you either walk away from God or you're driven closer to God. Spiritually, when you go through a crucible, it's a binary choice as it is in many things. So crucibles are not fun. They're agonizing. They're devastating, as you know, as well as anybody. But you face that choice. Am I going to be defeated by this? Am I going to be bitter, hollow, depressed, angry person for the rest of my life? Or am I going to say this was awful, but how do I bounce back? How do I become wiser, stronger, transformed? And you're right. As we use what we've been through to help others, there is a healing component. When I feel like my story can help others or people have come on our podcast and have said, I'm sure just like people have come on yours, I'm sure they've said the same thing. You know, you've allowed me to share my story. It's a safe place where I can talk about my crucible and help others. That means everything to me as I'm sure it does to you. So that is healing when you feel like you're using what you've been through to help others. So crucibles provide a choice. And so we need to choose the right path. One leads to agony and misery, and the other leads to joy and fulfillment. It's that simple. Choose the path of a life of significance, which we define as a life on purpose dedicated to serving others. Choose the path that leads to joy and fulfillment not the other one. So, you know, you can be defined by your crucible or you can say, okay, it was a terrible day. I'm not going to be defeated by my worst day. This is not the end of my story. That's a choice that every human has to make. And it's not easy, but that's the choice. Yeah. What a great way to kind of summarize this. And everybody out there, I would just encourage you to connect with Warwick. It's crucibleleadership.com. You have a phenomenal podcast. You you had me on as a guest. That was awesome. Called Beyond the Crucible. If you guys want to, just a great podcast to hear stories of other people that you can relate to that have walked through. I'll guarantee you, you'll find somebody who's uh, walked through the path that you've walked through to, to give you hope, to give you that encouragement, to maybe give you that courage to just maybe take that next step or maybe just find a little ember of hope to hold on to. And just, you know, with that, Warwick, any just final thoughts to leave with everybody? I think just what we talk about is your worst day isn't the end of your story. And just remember, rather than fixating on yourself and, oh, woe is me, as you begin to think about serving others, 
being a blessing, you know, we're blessed to be a blessing. Purpose and healing comes to that everybody that we've had on the podcast, and I would guess everybody that's been on your podcast, you know, amidst all the diversity of background, race, gender, and type of crucible, the way back is identical across culture, race, experience. It's always choosing hope, forgiveness, and using what you've been through to help others. There's a path that does work for every human I know. There is a path back from your worst day. So as John says, just take that next step. And for a believer, say, Lord, what step do you want me to take today on my way back? You tell me the step and I'll obey you. Awesome. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing, my friend. And uh, I look forward to meeting in person sometime. <laughs> we got to do that, you know, soon. So indeed, indeed. All right, man. Thank Keep you so knocking much. them alive, brother. Okay. Thanks so much. <laughs>